Please stand with me at the reading of God's Word for us this morning. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Galatians 1 reads this way. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. When I start a new uh, series, I don't normally preach a whole sermon just on the greeting. You may have even above uh, the the text in your Bibles the, the the heading greeting, and we're just going through these five verses. This morning, normally in, in Paul's letters, uh, he just tells us, hey there, uh, my name is Paul, you are you, and here's uh, some nice things I'm going to say just to get us started. And then he gets into uh, the letter. And we have those, those kinds of elements here, right? We've got Paul introducing himself in verse 1. In verse 2, he says who he's writing to, it's to the churches of Galatia, and we've got that typical way that Paul offers blessings from God to churches in verse 3, grace to you and peace. But in these five verses, we have more than Paul normally says. There's something different about the way that he starts this letter that warrants, I think, us spending a little more time thinking through what he's communicating. And so we're going to slow down that we might hear the message of God, specifically in what more he says than he normally does when he's opening up a letter. The title of this sermon is The Message You're About to Hear. The Message You're About to Hear. Referring to the whole book of Galatians, the message you're about to hear is this. God says, only Christ can save you. That's the sermon in a sentence. God says only Christ can save you. The message Paul is writing to the whole, all the churches in Galatia. He starts out with this aspect of the message that God says only Christ can save you. And he says that in two parts. The message you're about to hear, first of all, is not from man. The message he wants them to understand, he wants you to understand, as we walk through the book of Galatians, the message you're about to hear, he makes clear, and he even spends more time than he normally does making this point, it is not from man. Christian leaders today, like pastors, 
We are called by God, but we are called by God through man. What I mean is, it shouldn't be that people who are not pastors are walking around saying, I'm called to ministry, if they're the only ones saying it. The way this works is a church of men and women, of God's people, agree God has called this person. And I say that so that you understand that Paul is telling us in the first verse of this letter that he got his gig differently than I did. He, he's, he wants you to understand, it's so important, that you don't think that Peter looked at Paul, or John looked at Paul, and said, you know what, this is a guy who has the right stuff to be like us, to be an apostle. You need to understand what he's taking time and and slowing down to really reiterate to us, he's an apostle. That means he is someone who was sent. That's what apostle means, I was sent. And verse 1 says, not from men, and not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul doesn't normally spend this much time setting this point in, but he does it for a reason in the book of Galatians. He wants them to understand that the message they're about to hear is from an apostle And that means that he's not just speaking his own words. He was sent to say all of this from God and Jesus Christ. This is a very simple point I'm trying to set into your hearts as we begin this series. But this simple point is life-changing. Paul, in this letter, is not saying what humanity thinks, what man thinks. What you're about to hear, he says, comes straight from God. Now, we don't have apostles running around the world today. We don't have men who have been directly sent from God with a message. And that's okay. Because God has preserved for us everything those men wrote. You do have in front of you right now the message of God. What Paul was trying to get through to the Galatians you are holding right now in the Bible. So, beloved... What you are about to hear throughout this series is not from man. And that should change the way you listen. That should affect the way that you listen. This week, um, 
our family saw this like tricky athletic move to do. Um, and of course, everyone in my family, that may be an exaggeration, almost everyone in my family, uh, wanted to do this move that required extraordinary flexibility and balance. And I did not expect them to ask me for help doing it. Um, it still hurts a little bit when they're, I know they're not going to ask me, Daddy, can you help me figure out how to do this thing? There are certain things people don't ever ask Ryan about. No one has ever asked me for help in plumbing. Um, maybe you don't know me that well. If you have a question about stock markets, don't come this way. Uh, if you're curious of if the Graham Steers should run a jumbo set or stack the box, just know I heard those phrases for the first time this week, and I still have no idea what they were talking about. Whether you give someone a say really depends on the topic. And you have come in here with ideas about what's right, about what's wrong. You and I come in with ideas about what happens to us after we die. But you need to understand this about you and me and the ideas and the minds that we have. We are deceived. God says that man's mind is deceived. And so when you come to this most important topic of can God accept people into heaven? Or how does God accept people into heaven? Paul understands that the people he's writing to in the churches in Galatia, that they've got ideas about that about what they should do to be accepted by God. You have ideas, and I have ideas. And you need to come with the humility and recognize your ideas on your own are wrong. You think wrongly about this. I think wrongly about this. Our minds and our thoughts are affected by sin so that we answer that question the wrong way. Or maybe it's not a wrongness in your mind, but can't you see the wrongness in your heart? And what I mean is, when real life happens, don't you start acting like the way to, for God to accept you is wrong. Don't you act in wrong ways. How do you act when you find out that someone in your life is doing something you can't imagine ever doing wrong? Do you not struggle with the temptation of feeling like you are better? Or maybe your struggle comes in a different direction. When you know you exist to please God and you keep on failing Him. You keep on going back to the same sins. And then you think of the question, can He accept me?
We don't know how the Galatians responded to the message that Paul wrote. I'm pretty confident it was a mixed response. Like some of them went with what he said. And I'm sure some of them kept on going away from what he wrote this about. But there is no question what you should do. And there is no question about what I should do. If the topic is, can God or how can God accept people into his presence? There is only one person who should have a say. And once you hear from God, you need to determine, I'm not listening to any man. If that man disagrees, I'm not listening to my heart wherever my heart disagrees with what God has said about being accepted by him or anyone else. And one of the one of the things that encourages me most as a pastor of Redeemer Church, one of the things that encourages me most uh, that, that I believe proves that Almighty God is at work in this congregation is just how common it is for for me to hear, what does God say? One of you asked me, what does God say about this? Or I overhear a conversation where you're discussing, well, what does God say about this topic? I'm so encouraged that God is at work in this church because I'm not hearing from the people of Redeemer, arguments about whether God speaks. You know, does, does God really speak at all? The, you know, the, the, this is the attitude of God deniers who question anything in the Bible and say, well, he must change his mind or he, he doesn't really speak anymore. So glad that this church isn't filled with people like that. And some churches are. I'm so relieved that this church, I believe, by God's grace is filled with people who don't, Ask the question, did God really say? Like, can see plain, plain in Scripture something that is true and say, well, but did he really say that? So I'm, if we don't have God deniers and God doubters in this church, it is evidence that Almighty God exists and that he has poured his blessing out on us. And we should be encouraged by that. What God says in his word. Not through your private prayers, but in his word. What God says, not in private impressions to you that no one else heard. But what God said in his word is enough for us. And it is enough for every believer. And it shows, that is some proof that he has delivered us from doubting him. So Paul belabors the point. You just need to understand. The message you're about to hear is not from man. It is from God. And God says, only Christ can save you. And that's his point of verses 3 through 5. If you look there, verses 3 through 5, Paul is doing something else that's different in this introduction compared to the other introductions to the rest of his books. He elaborates on what Christ has done so that we know before we get into the heart of the rest of the letter, the message you're about to hear is not from man, but it is also able to deliver you from evil. The message you're about to hear, point number two, can deliver you from 
evil. Paul calls the time we live in, the world that you live in every day, this present evil age. I wonder if that sounds harsh to at least the normal way you think about your life and your circumstances. As you are aware, I hope, that God has blessed you with lots of good things. But, but God says here, I, I should say, Paul writes here, which is the same thing as saying God says here, that the world is evil. I hope I wouldn't have to persuade you of that. But I'm going to try. Can't you stand up here and give testimony that even the good things in your life expire? The best things in this life expire? You are expiring. We get sick and we die. And everyone we love does too. The thrill that you have in that thing that you love, haven't you already experienced it goes away? We get the thing that we craved for so long and the moment it's in our hands, it's not that satisfying. And you want something else. The very best in this age, in this world, is not perfect. And because it's not perfect, even though we can say some things are good, we also have to also say about them that they're evil. Because God created a world that was good and perfect. That's part of the definition of being good. So all of our relationships struggle. The good ones struggle. You say things that you Wish you never said. You do things and I do things I wish I never did. We live in this world that is evil because this world is filled with sin, rebellion against God, and death. You will not understand the message that Paul is about to say to you unless you first embrace This view that God has of this world that you are living in right now, it is evil. God says this in 1 John chapter 5. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There is a God of this world, Satan, who is ruling over this world. And that you are part of it. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we all, even Christians, we were walking and following the way of the world that is under the power of Satan. And we, maybe, maybe not in every single thing we did, but at least part of every single thing we did, it was rebellion against God. There is a reason why this world goes the way that it does, that we experience the sadness that we do. 
I wonder if someone asked you the question, what does Jesus save us from? What would you say? I think you should really think about it. What does Jesus save us from? And what does he save us to? He saves us from something, and he saves us to something. Could you answer that? Well, you can with this passage. Do you see it in verse 4? How it says that we are bound to this present evil age. That we are set there outside of Christ. That we are bound and we cannot get out of it ourselves. That even your thoughts of what good you do what, what you would think is acceptable to God, they belong there in the present evil age. And all of it is evil. So, let me ask you another question just to help you understand the message that Paul's about to speak to us in the book of Galatians and how he introduces this. I, I sometimes do what Christians have done for the last several decades. And, and when, I, when I want to ask someone a question, rather than just asking them, are you a Christian, which I think is a, a largely unhelpful question, I ask a different question that I, I don't, I think that this is, this is somewhat unhelpful, this question, but there are good things about it. And so I ask this question and I want to ask you to think of an answer. If you died today, and immediately were brought into the presence of God. And he said, why? Give me a reason why I should let you in to my heaven. What would you say? I'm giving you time to think about an answer. you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, one sign of that is that when you thought of an answer, you were thinking about what you've done. You may have started listing things that you've done. If you do that, You're not getting in. I want you to understand if you're someone who's not following Jesus Christ as your only hope for heaven, that weighing your good works against your bad works, that comparing yourself to other sinners and and seeing yourself as more favorable than them before God, that is something that you may always struggle with. I mean, even as Christians, we are, we are tempted to struggle with that and compare ourselves. But you need to hear what I need to tell myself over and over again is, if you start doing that, you'll never get in. Because you will never be perfect. You're already imperfect. And if you, 
If you commit yourself from here on out to be perfect, you will fail. And you still have all those imperfections, all those sins, all that rebellion behind you that you would still have to answer for even if you were perfect from here on out, which you will not be. There is bad news in that kind of salvation. Our works fit within the world we need to be delivered from. This present evil age, or this present age is evil. And you're part of it. And I'm part of it. All of our works, trying to be good enough to God, or trying to obey God, are defined in this age we live in as evil. It's not enough. And yet our great struggle is to think, maybe I can do enough. You can't. You need to be delivered. Or some translations, instead of the word deliver in verse 4, we have the word rescue. You need to believe these words. Rescue. Who needs to be rescued? Someone who is absolutely helpless. Someone who is perishing on their own. Those who are unable to free themselves. That is what Paul is going to offer to us in the book of Galatians, is a deliverer. Someone who delivers us from this present evil age. And this language of deliverer, it's not new to Paul. And I, I want to spend some time just thinking about where this language comes from so that you can understand salvation. It starts, this word, in Exodus chapter 3, where God appears to Moses at the burning bush and He says, I will come down to deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians. You're in the hand of the enemy. And I'm the only one who can deliver you. I will open up His hand and take you away from your enemy. And I will bring you to a land that is good and blessed. God promised with this language that Paul ends up picking up on to make us understand what Jesus offers to us. He says, God rescued us out of, or them out of slavery in Egypt, and He brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they were the only people on earth who knew God. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Because after... God delivered His people physically out of physical slavery. They did not trust Him and they did not delight in Him. Immediately in Exodus, they start doubting whether God is going to provide life for them. Immediately they start delighting in His gifts, but not the giver. And so God has to say, that physical slavery you had in Egypt, that was just a picture of your real problem. And it is something inside of you. Your slavery to sin that will bring you to me where I will destroy you forever in hell. And so as the Bible went on, the, the prophets start picking up this language again where God says in Ezekiel, you will know that I'm the Lord when I break the bars of your slavery off of you and deliver you from the hand of those who enslave you. And he's clearly talking about sin and death. You think you can be a good person 
I mean, get some better habits, do it. Like avoid, avoid some of that, avoid some of those habits that lead you down wrong paths that end up hurting the people in your life. Do it. You think you can deliver yourself from sin? You think you can deliver yourself from death? You think you're going to get back up after they put you in that coffin? You think that you can stand before Almighty God? And even though when Isaiah did it, he said, Now my eyes have seen the king, and now I know that I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And and even though Peter, whenever he came face to face with the Lord Jesus, he said, depart from me, for I'm a man who is a sinner. You think you can die today and face God and start listing how good you are. Your mouth will be shut when you see him. When it comes to the Christian religion, it is a religion of escape. It is a religion of rescue. And yet, we are tempted to think that what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, has sent, He has sent us a coach. He has sent us somebody who sees our strengths. And sees our weaknesses and enables us through his coaching to train us to overcome the ways that we fail and to focus on our good qualities. There are so many, whether you will answer the question correctly when a pastor asks you or not, there are so many people who live like Jesus is no better than a coach who takes what is good in us, and then just teaches us how to get rid of what is bad. That is not salvation. And God, when He saw our need, He didn't send a teammate either. We've got to turn away from the ways that we think of Jesus as someone who's just a teammate by our side, who's strong when we're down who can make up for our shortcomings. You know, you can't be perfect. Let Him help you. The evil in our own hearts is tempted to think of Jesus like this, where we want God's help, but we also want to play a part. We want Him to help us do what we can do with His help. And we need to listen from the very beginning of this book that God says the only way out of this present evil age is not through a coach. It's not through a teammate. It is through a rescuer. That's what he says in verse 4. He wants to say this from the very beginning. This is what Jesus Christ is. The one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil So, if you're here and you're not totally devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got bad news for you and I've got good news for you. The bad news is you are part of the evil age and you cannot make yourself right with God. The good news is, 
that just because you can't make yourself right with God doesn't mean no one can make you right with God. Israel was in the hands of Pharaoh. They were in slavery. And then a lamb came. And his blood was shed. And they got out of Egypt. And the same language is there in our passage when he says he came to deliver you by giving himself for your sins. Only a substitute. That's what the word for means. For your sins. His body in place of your sins. Only a substitute who belongs to another world who belongs to another age, can come to deliver those who are in this age. And God came from the land of the living in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on a body so that He could die. So that when He died, those who will live in Him, those who deserve death, can be delivered out of this world of death. That's what Paul says Jesus has done. And I want you to understand this from verses 4 and 5. This is the only plan that works. Do you see that? That when Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, that was according to the will of our God and Father. It doesn't say this fits within the wills of God to save His people. And there are various ways that you can go. He says there is no alternate plan that will work. God has one will for this. If they're going to be delivered out of this present evil age, it has to be by the death of my son. And Jesus died and was raised. So if you trust in that, He will deliver you. This is the message of the book of Galatians. Let me give you kind of the theme of the book in a sentence. We'll keep seeing this over and over, and that is only faith in Christ can make us right with God. Only faith in Christ and nothing else can make us right with God. But if you, listen, if you came in here, someone who is not devoted to Jesus, you can leave here, someone who is saved and delivered. If you will turn away from every other plan, every other way, and just simply trust in Jesus, He will save you. Now, if you're a Christian, and you read these words and take them to heart, that they're from God and not from man. If we've been delivered not just from the penalty of our sins, but even from this evil world, why is it that we still suffer in this evil world? Don't you wonder that? If we take him at his word, why is it we still cry? Why is it we still die? Why is it that we still sin? Why is it that we still hurt others? There's a principle you need to understand, and that is that the physical follows the spiritual. Let me explain. 
You remember when God said, on the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. On that day, you shall surely die. But Adam lives past that day. He died spiritually, and he started to die physically. And in the same way, we live between these two ages. Christians are living not just in this age, but in the age to come. Presently, we are living in an age that is filled with wrath. And we have been delivered from the realm of wrath, the realm of God's judgment, the realm of death. And, and He will, though, physically and fully, one day He will deliver us from all of the rest from all of our sinning, from all of our suffering, and we need to wait with confidence that He's done this and He will do it. Beloved, I want to encourage you as we come into this book to remember it's not just those who are lost who come up with alternate ways to get into God's good graces. Only Christ can save you. Beware of every also in your heart of every alternate, of every way that you think you can do good or better and that that your acceptance is based on that. We still struggle to believe in God's only. We often feel better about our spiritual state when others are doing worse than us or we feel crushed whenever we fall into that same sin again and again. Beloved, God did not say diligence will deliver you. God did not say, work a little bit harder once you know what is right, and that will deliver you. God did not say that discernment of what is right and wrong will deliver you, that if you can just figure out how to avoid, discern, these temptations will lead me in the wrong way, I'll just avoid those. He didn't say, diligence will deliver you. He didn't say, discernment will deliver you. God said, Christ will deliver you. So long as God's only is your all, you are totally safe. Not sinless, but safe. Beloved, depend that God's Son will deliver you to the land of endless glory. Because after all, this message is not from man. God says, only Christ can save you. God in heaven, we pray that you would help us to believe your word. And all of your word points to your son, who is our only hope. And he's hope enough. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would depend upon you totally to to make us right with God. And use this series to deliver us from all of our doubting and all of the alternative ways that we come up with so that Christ may be glorified in our trust in Him alone. And we ask this in His name. Amen.